If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find the book of Acts. I'm actually not even going to really give you a chapter right now. Well, you can kind of start moving towards the second half of it, Acts 16, 17, 18. Uh, we are going to kind of be jumping around a little bit in that. But So if you have a Bible, the reason why this is good, uh, when we read it on the screen, which we will have, we kind of see just what's on the screen. And when you open up your Bible, you get to see more of the context of what is surrounding it, the passages before and after, the stories. Uh, and today, because we're kind of taking a big picture look at some stuff, that, that will be beneficial and helpful if you have a Bible. So we are, we're coming up on the end of our series in the book of Acts. All right, and this will end up being about four months, actually, that we will have spent in the book of Acts. And I honestly can't think of uh, a much better way to spend a third of our year than focusing on the, the beginning and kind of the origins of our movement, of just the Christian movement in general. I have loved this. and So we have two more weeks, and then we will be in September, and we will launch into something new at that time. Uh, but I'm excited. So today, uh, we are going to look at the Apostle Paul, and I know we've been looking at him a lot. He's the main character here, kind of. Uh, and he has been the focus of many of our weeks, but I, I want to step back. And I, today, I want to look at the way that he approached life. All right, and then I want us to see how can we imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, something that he says in Scripture. So uh, if you would, would you just stand with me? I want to open us in prayer. I'm uh, not going to read anything right now, but just would you stand if you're willing and able, uh, and let's just kind of pray to start our, our time here together. Lord, we are, we are so grateful, Lord, just for you, for, for your word that we have, that every single one of us, we, we can have a physical copy of your word. We can have it on our phone. We can have it on the screen, all these different things. God, and I just, I'm, I'm thankful for that, that you have provided a way for us to grow in our relationship with you, to understand you better, to grow closer to you. And I pray that this morning would do just that. We ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. The average life expectancy in America uh, is somewhere between 76 and 78 years old. All right, kind of depends on where you're grabbing your information from. Uh, but one of the biggest questions I think every person has had to answer is this. Like, what do you do with those years? No matter how many years you have, what do you do with those years? How do you live your life? What is the purpose of that life? Are there certain responsibilities that you or I have to ourselves or to the world around us? All right? Uh, is there something that is kind of guiding these questions for us? As, as people ask these questions often, is there something that's guiding that? And for those of us that, that say that we follow Jesus, I think we would answer, yes, there is. There's something that should be guiding this question of what is the purpose of my life. But in my personal experience of talking with people, I don't really feel like Christians often have a better idea of what they should be doing with their lives than non-Christians. I, I don't have any stats to back this up. There's no study. This is just personal experience. As I think back on my years of talking with people, uh, years of spending time with, with youth as they are making big decisions as they graduate, and what am I going to do uh, with the rest of my life, like, I honestly, I just haven't seen that, that Christians have a much greater grasp on this. And I'm going to give us a little bit of an excuse. I think some of it is because I think deep down we know that we should have a specific purpose. Like we, it is fundamental to our beliefs that this is more than just, we did not just by uh, happenstance show up here 
and we're just going to live out our, our time and that's it. Like we believe there's something more. So I think we kind of put that greater pressure on ourselves, which then kind of causes us to question things more. And, uh, but I, I see so many people are like, what, what am I supposed to be doing? What is the purpose? And I want us today to sort of take a big picture look at Paul. He was a man on a mission. He was so incredibly focused. And actually, towards the end of the book here, he becomes like so, I'll say, laser-focused uh, that nothing would deter him from what he was doing and where he was going. All right, Paul had sort of finished up his, his three journeys, these missionary journeys that we call them, traveling around that area of the world. Um, and uh, as he's coming to an end, he begins to set his sights on going to Rome. Rome is the capital of the, the nation that is occupying them. You know, the Romans were kind of all over. And he wants to go to Rome. That, that's what he wants to do. All right? And then from there, he wants to move on to Spain. And Spain was kind of almost like the, the ends of the earth in, in this time to them. All right? So when Jesus said, you're going to go here, 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 and he says, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. Like, Paul is like, I'm going to Spain. Because that's, in his mind, he's like, that's, I'm going to go to Rome, and then I'm on to Spain. All right, and Paul actually mentions his plan at the end of this letter uh, to the Romans that he wrote. And it's Romans 15, it says this, But now I have finished my work in these regions, and after all these long years of waiting, I am eager to visit you. This is a letter written to the Romans. I am planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I have enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. But before I come, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. All right, so Paul had taken up this offering for the poor to bring to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a bigger city. Uh, the church was probably struggling to completely take care of all the poor that was around them in a larger city like this. And Paul had actually, he, he was feeling that this was his last little bit of time in this area of the world. Like he actually was planning, I will be leaving this area, I've spent my entire life, I'm going off to Rome, to Spain, and his plan was that's where I will die. I will die at the ends of the earth. I'm going to keep going, I'm not coming back here. Alright, but before he does that, before this is like the last time he's going to see his friends, his co-laborers, just the churches that he's planted... Uh, before he sails off for these new adventures, he needs to go towards Jerusalem. All right, so here, here's a, a map of the route back on his third missionary journey toward Jerusalem. People start to tell him how bad of an idea this is. All right, they know that Paul has caused a, a lot of tension in this area of the world, especially with the Jewish people. All right, remember Jesus heading back to Jerusalem. And everyone's like, don't do it. People are mad at you. You've, you've caused a ruckus. Don't go there. It's going to end badly. And by many standards, it did end badly. You know, he goes back and he's killed. Obviously, we understand that needed to happen. But so, so Paul is moving back towards Jerusalem. Everyone's like, please don't do this. On his way, he wants to meet with the elders of the church in Ephesus. Okay? And this is a church that he planted. It's the church where he actually spent the most time. Out of any of the churches he planted, he spent the most time in Ephesus. He's going to have the strongest friendships and relationships there. Now, he says, I don't want to come into Ephesus for whatever reason, if he's going to stir up trouble like he always does, or he, he's like, I'm going to have a Minnesota goodbye and I'm going to end up staying for like two weeks longer than I should. You know, but he, he's like, hey, come and meet me. So the elders come out and they're going to uh, meet with Paul one last time instead of him going into Ephesus. Uh, and this would 
this is, again, that, that church where he, he had a long time there. So they have this tearful goodbye. And he says this in, in verse 21. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So you can see in this picture a guy who is on a mission. He knows what he's supposed to be doing with his life and he is going to do it. All right, it says that he knew what awaited him. Like the Holy Spirit is either speaking to him or through people. He's like city after city. People keep telling me, don't do this. Don't go there. But he's like, I'm going there anyways. So he sails on to Tyre, goes ashore there, and it says in Acts 21.4, believers there prophesy through the Holy Spirit that Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Then he goes on to Caesarea, and it says this. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. We are getting a picture here. Uh, where logically it makes no sense for Paul to go to Jerusalem. He's bringing the offering. Any any of these other leaders in the church very easily could have brought that offering for him. Probably snuck in under the radar and this would have been fine. Like it just, it it doesn't make sense. Um, Someone else could, could take this, his friends, his spiritual companions, all of them. They're saying don't go, but he is still going. All right, And I think it's important the process, uh, to process the fact that the Holy Spirit is prophesying and saying things like this is going to happen to you. And as I've kind of been reading about this, what, what the picture you kind of get is not that the Holy Spirit is saying, Paul, don't go. The Holy Spirit is saying, Paul, this is what will happen. And that's being prophesied through people that are telling Paul this will happen. And then the people, I think, are flipping over into like their own fleshly side and saying, Paul, based on what the message that, that we're giving you right now, don't go. Don't go. It's not worth it. This doesn't matter. Like Someone else can take care of it. But he is going to go anyways. So I think this honestly just like strengthens his resolve to go. Right? Like he, he knew... Uh, what was waiting for him. He was preparing himself, and I think in the end, it actually helps him endure it even better because he knew it was coming. So Paul continues on to Jerusalem. All right, he meets with the church and its leaders there. He talks about all that God was doing in his journeys. They celebrate together, and then Paul goes to the temple to worship. And while he is there, there are some Jews that see him, and they grab him. And they start yelling about Paul. People get upset. The crowd grows, and a riot starts, all right? All things we've seen before. This is like Paul's life. Every city he goes to, people get upset and a riot starts. Like this, this should not be a surprise to him. 
Uh, despite the fact that, I mean, even with all of the other things that the Holy Spirit's saying, this is going to happen. All right, so this, uh, it says they're trying to kill him, and the Roman guards come and rescue Paul and actually take him away. They're like, we don't know what's happening, we don't know who this guy is, but we don't really want him to get killed in the middle of this riot. Let's pull him out of here. So uh, this starts a long process of Paul going on several trials in front of different groups. And this really makes up a, a bunch of the rest of the book of Acts. After his journeys, these trials that are happening. He is brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish court. Um, and before anything can really happen, Paul basically, uh, strategically, throws a wrench in everything. All right, the Sanhedrin is the high court of the Jewish people, and there are Pharisees and there are Sadducees, two different groups of Jewish people that are sitting on this court. And they had a big difference in their theology. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection, that people could be resurrected from the dead, and that one day everybody would be resurrected. The Sadducees did not believe that. And so Paul gets in there, and he sees that this is not going to go well, and he basically, he, he, he shouts out and he says, I'm on trial because of my belief in the resurrection. And what this is, is he's basically taking a big juicy T-bone steak and throwing it into two packs of wolves. And in this moment, they begin to fight with each other. Okay, like, this could happen today. You know, like, our world is so divided. There are certain political statements that you could shout out in a large group of people, and then you could just watch as there is just chaos. And people start yelling back and forth. And this is what happens. And it's not really wrong. He's like, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. He's like, I'm a Pharisee. I believe in that. And all the Pharisees, they come to his defense right away. They're like, yeah, that's right. We believe in that. And all the Sadducees are like, no, this is terrible. This is heresy. And they start fighting with each other. Big issue. The Roman guards come and take Paul again. And they're like, all right, let's get you out of here. They bring him and kind of put him in, uh, into jail again here. And this, as this is going on, like that night, uh, Paul hears Jesus that just kind of speaks to him, uh, and he says this. He says, uh, it says, That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. All right, again, strengthening his resolve. He now sees what the end game is. That's where I'm going. I'm going to Rome. And he gets put in front of different judges, different people, different courts, and this starts a two-year process. And we read that very quickly and don't realize how long Paul would get pulled out in front of this guy, who the governor was, and the governor liked listening to Paul, but he was waiting for a bribe. He wanted Paul to bribe him to get out of jail. So he says he would listen to him and then he'd send him back. And he'd listen to him and he'd send him back. And he'd listen to him and he'd send him back. And this was two years that Paul was going through this. And then finally, there's a change in governors. That guy leaves. A new one comes in. Doesn't really know the Jewish people as well. Doesn't really know what's happening here. And he says, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ship you back to Jerusalem. And I'll let them take care of this. Because I don't, I don't really know what's happening. Now, the Jewish people kept trying to ambush and kill Paul every time they moved him. And so Paul's like, ah, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going back there. And he says, I'm a Roman citizen. And either you will give me like, a, you, you will make this play out right here. You'll give me a sentence or you'll say, I'm innocent, let me go. Otherwise, I'm appealing to Caesar. All right, I'm basically taking this to the Supreme Court 
that's what I'm doing. And at that point, when Paul appeals to Caesar, his fate is kind of locked in. He now has to go there. But this is his end game. Remember, he's like, Jesus told me, like, you're going to go to Rome. So here's an easy way. They're going to pay my way. All right, I'll be in shackles. I'll just go to Rome. This works out. And uh, so Paul is shipped away to Rome, and, and, and this is what he wanted all along. I think that too often we look at people in the Bible and we make excuses for why they live the way they do versus the way we live, right? Have you ever done this? Have you looked at things you're like, well, that's the Apostle Paul. Of course he had this kind of resolve and focus and this. And, um, or, or we say this a lot, like, well, that, that's Jesus. He's the Son of God. I, I can't really measure up to him. And uh, yes, we can't, but at the same time, like, the, the, Jesus was absolute in, in what his humanity was as well. As well. Uh, Paul spends a ton of time in his letters trying to paint the picture, I am an everyday normal person just like you. I struggle with temptation just like you. And he's painting this picture of, I, I am like you. And so if that's, that's the picture that we have, I, I think the question is, like, how do we live like him with that kind of resolve, that kind of focus? If he's an everyday person just like me, I should be able to do it. How do I, how do I live that way? And I think what Paul had and what I often lack in my life is a confidence. Not in himself, not arrogance, but, but a confidence in God and what God had called Paul to. All right? And so I want to say this for us here today. When you are confident in your mission, the journey shouldn't scare you. Okay? When you know where you're supposed to be going, when you know what God has called you to, it shouldn't really matter what pops up as you are moving along that path. If you're confident, I know I'm going in the right direction, I know this is what God has called me to, things should not deter us in any way as we move forward towards that. And I think there, there are three different pieces I want to pull out here that we see in Paul's life. I want to look at these and kind of ask ourselves, like, do we have these in our life or are we lacking in some of these areas, okay? So quickly, the first piece is this. Paul knew his big picture purpose. Paul knew it. When he looked at the entire purpose of his life, the reason he had to live, the thing that everything would be measured against in the end, he knew what it was. In Acts 26, Paul is retelling the story of when Jesus appeared to him. And he says this, and I'm just going to read it, it's not going to be on the screen. He says, And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me, and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Like from this moment, Paul knows his big picture purpose. All right? Jesus had appeared to him. When Jesus became real and transformed his life, he had this focus now. All right, but just having a big picture purpose isn't always enough. All right, like, I mean, it, it is enough, it should be enough, but as humans, I think we struggle with that. Things come up in our life, we begin to doubt. Did I actually hear correctly? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Maybe that was just me. Um, I'm, I'm getting a lot of pushback here. Is that God saying I shouldn't be doing this? And that's where the second piece comes in. Paul's purpose was confirmed 
clarified, and encouraged at different times in his life. Now here's the hard thing with this. We don't get to control whether Jesus speaks to us, better defines what he is calling us to. All right, like sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he expects us to just start moving forward. I've given you enough information, start walking. I will guide you. Sometimes he gives us more than that. And, and I think like this is important because when, when moments like this happen, it helps remind us that we are on a good track. We are moving in a good direction. At the beginning of Paul's ministry, prior to his first missionary journey, there are some leaders gathered, and the Holy Spirit uh, says this. It says, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. If Paul hit a rough patch and doubted what was going on, he had moments like that to encourage him, to look back on and say, nope, Jesus spoke to me. The Holy Spirit encouraged me, confirmed this calling on my life, clarified this calling on my life as he would move forward. When Paul was teaching in Corinth, he had some pushback from local Jewish leaders. The Lord spoke to him. It says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. This keeps happening where he has this kind of confirmation. And then the one that we had just read recently, he's before the Sanhedrin, then he goes back to jail, and Jesus says, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you've been my witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. He's encouraged. Part of the plan is clarified. Like this, this, this matters. And the last piece I want to pull out as we look at Paul is this. Paul walked in such close relationship with the Holy Spirit that he was constantly being guided in his day-to-day -day journey. This doesn't mean that he had to uh, wake up each morning and ask the Holy Spirit, all right, which, which tunic should I wear? What breakfast cereal should I eat? You know, like, I, I actually have met people that are like that, that are like, I'm going to pray about every single decision. You're like, you know, I think God gave you some autonomy to move forward. I don't think he cares if it's Lucky Charms or Raisin Bran. I mean, Raisin Bran's a little healthier. Maybe you should eat that. But, but he walked in such close relationship that God could guide him. Early in his second journey, we read this. Next, Paul and Silas traveled to the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Later in Acts 19, it says, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go somewhere before he goes back to Jerusalem. He was constantly allowing the Holy Spirit to guide him, to interrupt his thoughts and his life. Like, we see that through his missionary journey. We don't really know what it means when he says, the Spirit of Jesus prevented me from going there. But he was open to this. He was listening. How many of us would be like, no, that's where I need to go. I'm going there. And just keep pushing and, and try and make it work. We have this, this big picture that Paul has. He knows his purpose in life. And we have this next layer where Jesus has confirmed things, that purpose. He's clarified that purpose. He's encouraged Paul in those moments. And then we have this 
deepest layer of he was in such close relationship with God that God was able to speak to him, to guide him in his everyday journey. I think that's why he has the confidence in God and in his purpose that he has. I think this is why he's completely fine with people prophesying, don't go to Jerusalem. He's like, guys, I, if, if the Spirit didn't want me to go there, I would be hearing it. <laughs> he's like, no, this is, this is where I'm going. Let's stand together as we close. This is the type of life that I want to live. I want to be focused like this. When I look at Paul through the book of Acts, I, I, I want that. Like it's, there's so often where we live our life and we're just kind of haphazard all over the place. I think most people want direction. Most, most of us probably want to say, Jesus, lead me. I, I want to follow where you're going to send me. But then we, we struggle to live this out. But I think just like Paul, we, we can know what our big picture purpose is. Jesus called all of his followers to the same one. We are called to know him and to make him known. We are his witnesses. This, this should guide our life. We should make big decisions in life with this in mind. We can't always control whether then our plans get clarified or confirmed. Like that's, that's hard. But I think as we begin to walk in this direction, we will often feel peace. If we're, if we're moving in the direction we should. I think that can be a confirmation for us. And we absolutely can control how close we are with him. We can control if we are allowing him to interrupt our life and speak into our life. That that is an option for us. This, this all really comes down to our relationship with Jesus. If we want to live like Paul, we have to sacrifice like Paul. We have to study like Paul. We have to pray like Paul. We have to pursue Jesus like Paul. We have to care about the lost like Paul. Everything is rooted in, in our relationship with Jesus and him taking his heart and transplanting it into us. So I want to challenge us with this today. If someone else from the outside were to look at your life, what would they say the purpose of your life is based on how you are living? Like when I look at Paul, it's obvious it is so obvious what the purpose of his life is. When I look at myself, I like to think that it's obvious. Because I know there should be purpose. I know there is. So in the back of my head, I kind of have that. But that doesn't mean that I'm actually truly living that out like that. One of the best ways you can do this is put yourself in someone else's shoes. Actually ask somebody else, maybe like, what do you think the purpose of my life is? When you look at how I live, how I spend my money, the things that I do, what is the purpose of my life? This is where we need to start in that process. All right, I don't like boiling down our purpose just to something as simple as like the, the Great Commission. Jesus saying, go into the world and make disciples. 
I think there is a little bit more to it than that. When we say that, it, I think it, it cheapens what it really is. But I think the simplest way to put it is love. We have this upward love towards God. We have this inward love towards believers and our community and this body. And we have this outward love towards the world. Like when we live with that as our big purpose, I think a lot of these things end up falling into place because our love for the world will say, hey, I got a better way to live. Not in an arrogant way, I'm just telling you, there, there's, a, there's a better way to live. Is your love for God obvious? Is your love for other believers apparent? Do you have a love for your neighbor in this world that just shines through in everything? And does that love drive you to invite people into this life-changing relationship with Jesus? In the letter of 1 John, John says this. If you haven't read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he focuses so much on this idea of love. And he says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. If you want to be able to push forward in life with the confidence that Paul has, the drive and the laser focus that he has to be on mission for God, you have to know your mission. And you have to be walking close enough with him that he can lead you with a still small voice. So do you have a big picture purpose in your life? Or is this something you need to wrestle through? Is this something you need to spend some time with God? You need to rethink the direction that your life is moving. All right, this includes the goals that you have for your life. We often have financial goals, relational goals, goals at our job, all of these things. Are those goals in line with this purpose? Or instead, are our goals just about building the best life and the best kingdom that we can here for ourselves? And if you have that, if you have that figured out, do you need to have moments with God that will confirm that? Are you in a spot where you need those next steps clarified a little bit better? Maybe you just need to be encouraged that you're still moving in the right direction. Spend time with God. That's where these come, when you put yourself in that type of a situation. And then lastly, how well can you hear the Holy Spirit, as he guides you in your day-to-day -day life. When was the last time you were about to do something and all of a sudden you just felt prompted, no, we're going to change this. We're going to do this. And we don't always know what the outcome of that's going to be. We didn't know the outcome of changing the trip from Haiti to the Dominican. But I love now with hindsight that we get to see that and be like, that is so cool. You were, you were praying for Haitian people and you worked with Haitian people. And this story of this gal saying, I had this vision of you guys coming. Imagine how encouraging that was, confirming that was for her in that moment. I want to close us in prayer. But I want to challenge you. Where, where do you fall in these three things? Are you, 
Are you solid on all of those? Is there an area you need to say, God, I need to press in. I need to pursue you better. I want to have purpose that is so laser focused. Jesus, we just pray right now, Lord, no matter where we're at, we know everybody in this room is in different spots. God, if this is a completely new thing, that you would just begin to stir in our heart that there is something more to this life, that there is a purpose that is greater than us. God, and that we would respond by seeking that purpose. God, for those that are in a season where they, they need confirmation, they need encouragement, maybe they need their plan to be clarified a little bit better. God, I know my big picture purpose, but, but Lord, what am I supposed to be doing right now? I want to follow you. I want to I go where you're calling me to go. God, I pray that this week that they would have moments with you that could do just that. And God, I pray that all of us would be moving in a direction where we are walking in such close proximity to you that we are walking step in step with you. That as you move, we move. As you stop, we stop. And that you would be able to guide us with even just a still small voice. God, let us be that close to you that we can hear your whisper. Jesus, we pray that, that through these steps, God, that we would we'd be able to be part of transforming this community, God, in this world. Lord, we ask that in your name. Amen.